Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento. And man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it. So get ready to receive from God today. Project Church, how we doing? Hey, good to see you guys. I know a little different space than normal, but so glad you're here. My name is Caleb. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, really excited to be sharing from God's Word today. If you have your Bibles, go to Mark chapter 6. We'll be on the screen for you as much as you can see it a little bit. Um, But man, I'm excited. I've been really praying about this season for our church. And, you know, we're in this kind of unique, strange season where we're getting ready to walk into our permanent home, a new building, um, establishing roots. And I think in a season like this, we need to have significant moments to prepare us. And today, I believe, is one of those moments. I believe that this message is significant for the season that God has us in. So if you didn't know, we've been walking through the book of Mark for the last year. So we are in year two of the book of Mark. One thing we do at this church is we love the word of God. We love walking verse by verse through the word of God because we believe that we walk verse by verse. You can't run from any topic, can you? Like you really got to dig in and hit every topic that it throws at you. And so, man, I hope to pastor this church for 20, 30 years until I'm old and y'all are like, we need somebody younger. Um, That's like I'm looking forward to that day. Uh, But I want to like continue to see us walk through the the uh, books of the Bible, verse by verse. And so we started this journey last year in 2019, and now we're in year two. It was supposed to take us two years to get through the bookmark. We're close to on pace. But for the next eight weeks leading up to Easter, we are walking verse by verse through the bookmark. Today we're at Mark chapter 6. And I said this is significant because I don't think it's an accident that the first time we're in Mark in 2020 is this text. Because this section of Scripture is a shift in Jesus' ministry. It's a huge shift where up to this point, Jesus had been doing all the ministry himself. And the disciples have been walking with Jesus for 12 to 18 months. Some of them 12 months, some of them up to 18 months. But in chapter 6, where we're going to read today, verse 6 through 13, Jesus stops and he takes the 12 and he says, okay, guess what? You've been watching me, you've been seeing me, you've seen me heal, you've seen me preach, you've seen me teach, you've seen me raise the dead, you've seen me perform miracles, you've seen me multiply fish and bread. You've been watching and you've seen all this, but guess what? It's your turn. That's what happens here. He says, guess what? It's your turn. So the title of my message today is, It's Your Turn. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, it's your turn. Touch your neighbor. Tell them, it's your turn. So let me set up what's happened, because um, some of you are maybe new to the church, or you weren't with us in Mark last year. And so I just want to really recap the end of chapter 5, the beginning of chapter 6. End of chapter 5, we see this great moment of faith. Jesus is on his way um, to Jairus' house because Jairus' daughter is sick. And Jairus comes to Jesus like, hey, will you come and heal my daughter? She's sick. She's about to die. And Jesus says yes. On his way, he's walking through a crowd because everywhere he goes, crowds are following Jesus now because um, he's become famous. And this woman with an issue of blood, she spent all her money on doctors 
She's wasted all of her money, lost all her money. She has nothing left. She's had an issue of blood for a decade. She comes and she says, if I can just touch his garment. Like, I don't even need to ask him to pray for me. I just need to touch him. I'll be healed. Jesus is walking through a crowd of people. She reaches out, touches the hem of his garment. Boom. The issue of blood stops. She's healed. Jesus walking says, someone touched me. And the disciples are like, what are you talking about? There's people all around you. Everybody's touching you. He's like, no, I felt power come out from me. And this woman stands up and said it was me and tells him what happened. And he says, woman, your faith has made you well. Go in this faith. And, and this is incredible moment of faith. Then on the journey, he gets, you know, stopped, and, and, and it takes him a little while. Jairus' daughter dies. He gets to Jairus' house. Jairus still believes, like, Jesus, you can heal her. I know you can raise her back from the dead. He goes in. He kicks everybody out because they're like, they don't believe that he can heal her. They're already mourning because she's dead. He touches her. Boom. She comes back to life. It's this incredible moment of faith. How many know faith is powerful? The faith of Jairus, the faith of the woman with the issue of blood. Faith is powerful. It can do some things. Now... He, a few ver verses later, now we're in chapter 6, and Jesus goes to his hometown of Nazareth. So we're talking just like a few moments later, a few days later. It was a 20-mile journey that he had to take from Capernaum to Nazareth. He goes with his disciples. He walks into his hometown. This is where he grew up. And it says that the people, they're offended by him. Because they go, wait, this is Jesus, the son of the carpenter, the son of Mary. Well, we know his sisters. They still live here with us. We saw him as a boy. We saw him growing up. He's just a, he's just a carpenter, a stonesmith. Like, who is he? How could he do any of these things? And they doubt him. It says they're offended by him. And it tells us in that text that Jesus could do no mighty works there. Because just like faith is powerful, how many of you know doubt is powerful? And doubt can actually hinder the miracles that we're asking for. So then we come, Jesus leaves his hometown, 12 to 18 months, he's been with his disciples, they've seen him do all these things, and, and he says, all right guys, now I'm sending you. And so I think what Jesus had done to this point is something that he's done for many of you up to this point. You see, up to here, he had done a work in the disciples. How many have had God do a work in you? He's touched your heart. He's touched your life. He's touched your spirit. He's done a work in the disciples. Up to this point, he'd done a work for the disciples. So just like that, he's done a work for you. How many have had God intervene in your life? He's touched in your life. He's done miracles in your life. He saved you, protected you at moments in your life. Like, I've had all those things happen. So he's done a work in the disciples. He's done a work in us. He's done a work for the disciples. He's done a work for us. And now he says, I'm going to do a work through my disciples. And today, Jesus is saying to us, that's why this is significant. I want to do a work through you. He's ready to do a work through us. He said, you are now my hands and feet. You are going to take this gospel. He said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so I just want to be real with you because I think some of you in here, you been you love Project Church and you've been coming, you're like, man, I like this church. Like I love what they're doing. I love what the pastors do. There's some really spiritual people here that are doing some great things. I love when they pray. I love when they do all these things. And I believe God is wanting to shift something in the perspective of our church where he's saying, look, I've done something in you. I've done some things for you. But now it's time to let me do some things through you. I'm sending you out. You're my hands. You're my feet. He is calling us as the church in this significant moment to let him do something through us. We need some people to say, I want God to do something through my life. 
Not just in me, not just for me, but through me. That's why you're here. You know you have a purpose. You're here for a reason. God wants you on a mission. So today, it's going to be all about through us. You see, this moment was all about it being their turn. And I believe this moment for us is God wanted to say to you, it's your turn. But in order for it to be your turn, you got to have his power. Come on. You see, God didn't say, I'm going to send you out in your strength, Joel. I'm going to send you out in your wisdom, Tim. I'm just going to call some people out right now because at the crest, I can't see anybody. But here, I see y'all. God God didn't say, I'm going to send you out in your insight, right, with your perspective, in your strength. No, he said, I'm going to send you out with my power, with my perspective, with my wisdom, with my strength. He's not sending us out with nothing. He's sending us out with everything we need. And so when Jesus says to you, it's your turn. Some of you are like, oh, I don't think so. I'm not ready. Like, like I can't do this. And some of you, maybe you are still in a bit of a training ground like the disciples, 12 to 18 months there with Jesus. But I think the most of us and the majority of us in here, we've been getting filled up. We've been getting poured into. We've been getting blessed. And if nothing else, it's time for us to go, you know what? It is my turn. I got everything I need. It's time for me to go out from those doors and say, Jesus, use me. So let's read. Mark 6, verse 7, he called the 12, began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except the staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals. Everybody say Tevas. Everybody say Birkenstocks. No, I'm just kidding. And not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Jesus, I pray that you would speak to us today in this place. God, we are believing that it's our turn. God, we are believing that you've done so much in us. You've done so much for us. Now will you do something through us, something significant in this city, in this world. God, may I share with clarity what you want me to share, and may our hearts be open to receive what you want us to receive. In your name, Jesus, and everybody said amen. So, To make it your turn, Jesus gave you his power. So I want to look at this text and the power that Jesus gave the disciples, which is the same power that he gives to you today. First, he's telling them that there's power in numbers. He sends them out two by two, pairs of two. He says, and in this text, it actually says in Mark 6 that he takes the 12. But if you go to Luke 10 in that gospel, one of my favorite verses, we actually see, and some would say it's, a, it's, a, um, it's an account that's in line with Mark. But some would say it's just, you know, it was Luke's interpretation of the story, what happened. But in Luke 10, it may have been a different time. It says that he sent out the 72 disciples in pairs of two. So if you didn't know, like Jesus had his 12 
He had a closer group of three, but then he also had a larger amount of disciples, sometimes over 100. But it says that he had 72 in Luke 10 that he sent out in pairs of two. Regardless, there are multiple times in the Gospels where we see that Jesus is sending them out together. Now, he could have said, I'm going to send the 12 of you to 12 different locations. Because, I mean, if you go by yourself, we can divide and conquer and reach more people. He could have said, oh, there's 72 of you. I'm going to send you out all by yourself to 72 different places. But no, he said, I'm going to send you in pairs of two. So that means only 36 places. And sometimes we think, well, we could have gone further alone. But how many know you always go further together? You always have more impact when, there, when there's a few. You want to know why? Because when you fall alone... And listen to me, you'll fall at times in your life, whether you're alone or you're in community. But when you fall alone, there's nobody there to pick you up. There's nobody there to say, I got you. There's nobody there to say, let's stay positive. But when you fall and there's someone with you, one of you is always going to be, let's keep going. We got this. You're not alone. Let's keep pressing forward. There is power in numbers. This is, these were the first dynamic duos. Not Batman and Robin, Okay. Not Kobe and Shaq. Not even Anna and Elsa, y'all. These were the first dynamic dudes. He said, I'm going to send you out in pairs of two. Two disciples going to communities, cities, towns to preach, to teach, to heal, and to proclaim the good news. I love that Ecclesiastes actually tells us that a three-strand cord is not easily broken. I mean, like one string can snap, but you wrap two and three together, and that becomes a powerful rope. We need community. And some of you have been coming and, and you haven't got plugged in in relationship. And, and it's hard on Sundays. I know you're like, man, I haven't really built relationships with anyone. It's hard when we just come in and we go out. That's why I tell you, man, you could text right now Project Groups to 97,000. Come on. And sign up for a group near you. And build community. I found, and some of you are like, but if I go alone, I'll be uncomfortable. Yeah, you might. But you might, by the end of the night, have some close friends to walk through this faith journey with. So I just challenge you, jump into a community. We got like 17 groups launching this week, more launching in a month. Um, we're, we're spacing them out this year. And so I just want to encourage you to jump in. Build community, build a relationship. Why? Because there's power in numbers. So a, a, a couple months ago, I took my boys golfing. I have an eight and six-year-old. I've told you guys this. And I started getting them into golf like last summer. And I got them into golf, not really because I like golf, because I'd rather golf like without my kids who are eight and six. Um, but I read online that the most unused Division I scholarships are golf scholarships. And I was like, dang, I'm a pastor. I don't got money to pay for college. So I'm going to try golf. This might be the ticket, okay? So we'll see, y'all. We'll see. I'm trying it. And so now I try to bring them as often as I can, like, to the golf course. I'm just getting them around it, let them hit a few. So I went out, and they paired me with this single, uh, uh, single guy, like, by himself. And uh, he was about my dad's age. And, uh, man, he, he was amazing to my kids. Because sometimes you could be with people, there. the golf course can be a little bougie, you know. People are like, oh, like, they don't know the etiquette. I'm like, they're six. He's six, you know. Like, he doesn't really know yet. And the dude was just super cool to them. Had a great time. We only played nine holes. And at the end, he was like, and during the round, he, he asked me, he's like, hey, uh, what do you do? And I told him I'm a pastor, which every time I say that, he's like, oh, dang, I'll make sure I don't cuss. And I'm like, it's all good. Like, we're playing golf. I, I'll, I'll probably be cussing too. <laughs> no, in my head, never out loud, okay? Um, and so, so, uh, so we finished around. He's like, Caleb, I had a great time. Hope to run into you again. I was like, yeah, man, take care. 
Three days later, it's a Sunday. This was on a Friday. It's a Sunday, and my wife was out of town, and so I did what any dad does when your wife's out of town after church. Uh, I took him to In-N-Out. Come on. Uh, because daddy ain't cooking. So, so we went to In-N-Out and, and fed them, you know, In-N-Out. And we're, we're walking to the car. We're about to get into the car. And I turn, and this man who I played golf with just a few days earlier is walking towards me. And as he's walking towards me, tears are streaming down his face. And I'm like, hey, bro, like, what's, what's going on? Like, what's up? And as tears are streaming down his face, he says to me, he says, Caleb, you don't understand. I found out yesterday that my mom was diagnosed with stage four or five cancer. He says she's going into hospice. She doesn't have much time to live. And this morning I woke up and I was so discouraged and defeated and depressed. And I just started driving around Sacramento. And I was crying out to God. And I'm like, God, I need somebody. And, and I felt like God said, go to In-N-Out. He said, and I said, God, I'm not, I'm not even hungry and God said, go to In-N-Out and get a shake. And he's like, all right. So he pulled in. He didn't go through the drive-thru. He gets out and he's walking up to In-N-Out and there I am standing. He says, Caleb, will you pray for me? And so I got my boys and my daughter and we laid hands on him and we prayed. Prayed for comfort. Prayed for peace. Prayed that God would encourage him. And he's crying. And, and by the end of the prayer, he's like, thank you so much. Like, I'm so encouraged. Showed up at church the next week. He pops in periodically to our church now. But I just want to tell you, like, he needed a brother in a time of struggle. There is power in numbers, church. You will have a moment when you need somebody, and that's why we need community. And God sends them out of disciples and pairs it to, I want to tell you, there is power in numbers. Make sure you find your community. You build your community so you can walk in the power and the authority that God wants you to walk. Second, he's, to make it your turn, Jesus gave you his power, and it's power over spirits, situations, demons, and sickness. So I'm like, no, nah, he's not going to go here. Oh, I am. Verse 7 and 13, we see that Jesus actually tells them, he says, I gave you authority over the unclean spirits. Now, I looked up this word authority in the Greek, and it's the Greek word exousia. And the Greek word exousia means control. Control, force, privilege. He said, I'm giving you control over the spirits. Control over anything unclean in this world. I'm giving you authority. Now, I said to you earlier, they've been with Jesus for 12 to 18 months. They already had authority, but they hadn't yet used the authority. And hear me, authority that isn't used is authority that is wasted. And as followers of Christ, you have authority. And yet some of us are walking through life with authority, but we're not exercising that authority. And then we walk through defeated, discouraged, uh, depressed, and we've forgotten that God said, no, I'm giving you authority over every attack, over every unclean spirit, over everything that comes against you. John 14, 12, he said, greater works than these you will do in my name. Every time you're faced with a situation, I want you to think this. I carry authority. Say it. Say, I carry authority. Whenever you walk through something, no, you carry authority. Listen, I, I have people call me all the time and ask me to come pray. Pray for the family member. Pray for a sickness. Pray for a friend. I prayed over homes. Anointed them with oil. I, I pray over people all the time and I'm a, I'm a pastor. That's kind of my job. And I am glad to show up and to pray. But I wanted to tell you something, church. Listen, you don't need me. You want to know why? 
You don't need me because the same authority that I carry, you carry. The same authority that raised Christ from the dead, you carry. You have that authority. You can pray. When your sick friend says, man, I'm going through this, don't go, let me, you don't got to call me. You can say, let's pray right now. You want to know why? Because I carry authority as a follower of Christ. So many of us are walking through life, and we are exercising the authority that Jesus has given us. It's time to walk in the authority that God gives you. And don't get it wrong, I'm, I'm happy to come pray for you guys, okay? Somebody like, I'm never calling Caleb again. I'm, I'm happy, I love doing it, but you don't need me to do it. God wants you to do it. He wants you to walk in that authority. And, and, and hear me this, because Jesus tells them, and in verse 13, it says they cast out many demons. He gives them power over unclean spirits. I think that we've forgotten that there are as many people demonized today as there were back then. And this isn't something we talk about much in the church, but, but I think that we, I would be doing us a disservice if I didn't acknowledge that we are in a spiritual battle. And some of us are so quick to run to the things of this world instead of the creator of the world. We run to medication, we run to doctors, we run to this and that, and I'm not against those things, those things are good, but what if we first went to the creator of all things? What if we, before we went to a bottle, we went to our healer, we went to our savior, and we said, God, can you touch this? I'm feeling depressed, lift my spirits, I'm feeling defeated, lift me up. The enemy wants to tear you down. And there are spiritual battles at work, and some of you don't even recognize or realize that the way you feel and things you're walking through are actually the attacks of the enemy. And we try to chop it up to natural things when we live in a supernatural world with supernatural things going on us all, around us all the time. But here's what I love. You don't have to be afraid because you have authority. You said it yourself. I carry authority. I have authority. You don't have to be afraid of those things. And so I, I was thinking about it because the other night, uh, my wife and I, we were walking down here in old Sacramento, and we're walking down the street, and there's this guy, and he, he's just like, he, he's a transient guy, and he's just swearing and cussing and screaming. I mean, like convulsing and screaming. And I'm looking at him, and, and the world would say, oh, he's got mental health issues. But my wife says to me, she said, he's oppressed. He's oppressed demonically. And I have had multiple times in our church where I've had to pray over people, casting out demons. I've walked into apartments and said, we got to get all this supernatural spiritual stuff up out of here, burn it, and we got to pray that God would set this place free. There is a real spiritual battle going on all around us, and yet so many of us Christians, we don't even acknowledge it. We're unaware of it. And then when the battles attack us, we give them natural reasons instead of saying and recognizing that there's a supernatural thing happening. But you don't walk in fear. You don't walk in timidity. You walk in authority, in the power that Jesus gave the disciples and now has given to you. And he says, walk in that authority. Third, there's power over material possessions. Now y'all probably aren't going to like this one. I'm just being real because I don't even like it. I mean, where are my chronic overpackers? Just raise your hand proudly. Like you go on a three-day trip and you're like, put it on the scale, 49.5 pounds, made it, yes. Why do we chronically overpack? And my wife will tell you I'm guilty of this and so is she. 
Why do we chronically overpack? Because we have a what if mentality. Like, what if it rains? What if I need a trench coat? What if I need a, a flannel in, in Hawaii? What if I need flats? What if I need high heels? Like, what, what, what if I need boots? I mean, I don't know. What if? And so we fill our suitcase. We pack it up. What? Because of this what if mentality. And so what does Jesus do here with the disciples? He actually tells them. He says, listen, I'm going to send you out pairs of two. But here's how you're going to go. You're going to go without any money, without any clothes. In fact, don't even wear two tunics, like a, a change of clothes. Don't even wear an extra one. You're not going to know where you're going to sleep or where you're going to stay. You're just going to wear the sandals, one pair of sandals that's on your feet. And you're going to go and I'm going to take care of you. I think that Jesus was trying to break even then in a culture that I would say was nothing like the materialistic culture that we live in. He was trying to break the power over material possessions that they had. And in the same way, I just want to tell you, I believe what sets us apart maybe the most as followers of Christ is what we do with our money. What sets us apart in a huge way from the world is how we perceive the material things that we have. Now, listen to me. I'm not saying that nice things are bad. Because some of you are like, oh man, this is a poverty mentality, Caleb. I'm not saying nice things are bad. Listen, I love nice things. I love clothes. Y'all know that. I'm not saying that nice things are bad. But what I am saying is nice things can be bad if those nice things have power over you. And I actually, I would say every week, I talk to God. And I say, God. If you want me to sell it all, I would. And every week I wonder, like, is the day going to come when I won't be able to say that? And I have a house. Bought a house this year. I have a retirement plan, so I'm planning for my future. My kids have a college account, so I'm trying to prepare for their future. Right? I have two cars, one for me, one for my wife. I drive the 2008, she drives the 2017. Those are facts, big facts. Like I have things, but I don't want those things to have power over me. I don't want those things to control my life. And when we bought the building, so the building's down the street. Some of you maybe have never been there. If you just walk all the way down to the end of 2nd Street, you'll see it. When we bought the building, um, we didn't have enough money for the down payment. And so you guys had given, but we hadn't done like a big fundraising campaign yet. And so we were short. We were actually short a couple hundred thousand dollars for the down payment. And so I, I had the idea. I was like, well, I'll, I'll just borrow it. And we can borrow and then we'll pay it back because I know in the next year our church is going to give a lot. And uh, we'll be able to pay back, like, the money we borrowed to buy the building. And so that's how I started. I started to reach out to some people. And so there was a church. They were about an hour and a half away. And this church, um, I knew they had $4 million in the bank because I knew the pastor. Church of 140 people with $4 million in the bank. And I knew that they'd been sitting on that $4 million for many years. Because I knew the pastor before this pastor too. And so I'm, I'm, I have this idea and so I, I'm like, we're, we'll ask to borrow some. So I, I wrote up this whole proposal. It was really professional. I said, I'll call in with you guys 
And so I sent it to him. I said, would you loan us $50,000? And I guarantee we'll pay it back within six months. Because I knew you guys would show up what you did, you gave. We're able to pay it all back. So I sent it to him, and I, I had a call in with his board, and I talked to his board. They asked me a lot of questions, and I thought it went really well. Then after the board meeting, he called me the next day. He said, Caleb, I'm sorry, we can't do it. I said, why can't, why can't you do it? He's like, well, they just, they have no guarantee that you guys will pay it back. I said, listen, man, like, we really need this to buy this building. This is, like, to help our church, you know, further our church. And, uh, and I promise you, like, I know our church will give. You've seen our give. Like, I, showed, I gave them all our finances, everything. We'll pay it back. He's like, I'm sorry, we, we can't do it. I said, you say no to Project Church, you will not be blessed. <laughs> I didn't say that, but I did think it. <laughs> so fast forward, two months later, the church had a church vote, a special vote, and voted out that pastor. The church that was 120, 30 people is now less than 40. Less than 40 people with $4 million sitting in the bank. They've done nothing with it in years. My grandfather told me something when he was pastoring and I had just moved back to town, he said, Caleb, the church is not a bank. What people give is meant to be used to reach communities and cities. And I love this church because you give. But listen, every month I meet with our board. And you know how we end every board meeting? We end it by saying, what are we going to give away this month? And we give away hundreds and thousands of dollars to missionaries and organizations all around the world. And I believe because of that heart... God has blessed us and will continue to bless us. You see, when we hold things tight-fisted, God can do nothing with us. But when we live open-handed, that's when God begins to move. He's looking for a church that has power over material possessions. Nice things are fine as long as those nice things don't have power over you. Next, he gave them the power over the fear of rejection. And I think a lot of you can relate to this because you hate being rejected. But he, in verse number 11, he says to them, he says, If any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. And so I wanna, wanted to tell you, I wanted to speak this over us, that you would give people the miracle of your voice. Church, give people the miracle of your speaking, of your voice. Because what happens is when we give people the miracle of our voice, God actually begins to give people the miracle of listening. And this is what I mean. Every Sunday I get up here and I teach and preach and people stop me afterwards. And they say, Caleb, when you said this, God spoke to me. Caleb, when you said this, God broke something off of me. Caleb, when you said this, I felt like something was loosed in my life. Caleb, when you said this, a miracle to me. And they'll say this to me, and I'll be looking at my notes, and I'll be like, yo, I never said that. <laughs> like, that never came out of my mouth. Like, I never spoke that. But here's what happens. When you are obedient in speaking, God is faithful in them listening. And the Holy Spirit will actually let them hear what they needed to hear. It may not even be what you said. 
But it's exactly what they needed to hear. And yet we are in this culture where we're afraid what people think and afraid what people might say, afraid what people might re- how people might react. So we go, well, I don't want to say anything to offend them. I don't want to say anything to make them uncomfortable. What if they say no? What if I invite them to church and they tell me no? God is breaking off the fear of rejection. The power of the fear of rejection. He's saying, oh, I'm breaking that off. I'm just looking for people to be faithful, people to be obedient, people to have open minds and open voices and open mouths and to speak the truth with love. This morning, there was a guy that showed up and, and he was like 20, 30 minutes early, which you know you're new when you show up that early. Some of y'all, you come regularly, so you're always late. <laughs> you know who you are. Come on, guys. The first song of worship is good, too, okay? Show up on time for these guys. You can do it. Just a little pastoral discipline for a moment. No, I'm just kidding. So he was really early, so I knew he was new. And uh, I was walking around before service, before the 930, and I I went up to him like, hey, what's your name? Met him. I said, so so how long you been coming? Because I never say, are you new? Because then... I've said that, and they're like, I've been coming for two years. I'm like, dang, my bad. <laughs> so I was like, how long you been coming? I've used it on some of you, too, before. Um, how long you been coming? He's like, oh, actually, it's my first week. I'm like, that's awesome, bro. Um, you know, like, what brought you here? He said, actually, there's a girl. He told me her name. She's actually in this service, but I'm not going to call her out. And he said, there's a girl, and she's been inviting me for a couple years. She would always invite me, and i just always say no. But he said, I've actually been walking through something really hard. I've been going through a really tough time in my life. So he said, I, I decided I was going to show up today. So I'm here. I said, that's, that's what's up, man. Like, cool. Like, great to meet you. I gave the message. And at the end, I, I said, is there anyone in here who wants to give their life to Jesus? Four hands went up. His hand was one of them. You see, you don't know about the power of your voice. And some of you, uh, you don't get the response you want in the immediate, in the moment, but you're planting seeds. And how many of you know you don't reap the harvest of a seed the next day or even the next week, often even the next month? It may take years before you yield that harvest. But this man was the result and this response and his salvation this morning was because somebody planted seeds for two years of inviting them to this church. And today he said, Jesus, I'm giving my life to you. The power of your voice, the miracle of your voice. We have to break off the power of the fear of rejection that this world wants to put on us. And finally, the power over sin. You see, in verse number 12, it says that they went out and they proclaimed that people should repent. And some of you, you hear repent and you already have PTSD because you grew up in the church. It was like, repent, repent, repent. And so you just hear that like, no, not at Project Church. They don't talk about repentance. I'm about to. You see, every day I wake up and I repent. Every night I go to bed and I repent. I say, God, I'm, I'm a broken sinner. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my past. Forgive me of my mistakes. I'm nothing without you. And, and I believe that the disciples went out and they told people to repent. And, and I know that they did it in a way that was truth and grace. 
That's what this world needs. They need truth and they need grace. You see, one without the other it can be too harsh or can be too soft. But when you season it with just the right amount of truth, all truth, all grace, there's something that shifts in the hearts of people. You see, repentance is something we all need to do. Every one of us in this place. And I wanted to tell you that, that there are people in, the, in this room that have been bound up by sin for a long time. And I'm guessing the disciples had some junk in their life. They had some stuff in their past. They had some sin that had them bound up for a long time. And yet God takes them and he calls them and he says, now go preach repentance. You see, Jesus wants to give you power over the sin that has had you entangled for so long. He wants to give you the authority over the sin that has had you bound up. But here's the great thing, thing about Jesus. Even when you fall back into that sin, you know what he does? He still forgives you. You see, you have power over sin even when you sin. You have power over sin even when you make mistakes. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That though you were messed up, broken, sinful, you, mess, you make mistakes every single day, Jesus said, I'll take that. I'll take that upon my back. I'll take those stripes. I'll take that on that cross for you. See, Jesus wanted to today give you the power over your sin. And some of you have given the power to your sin, but no longer, church. Today, we take the power back from the sin that has been upon us for far too long. These disciples, these 12, they'd never preached. They'd never taught. They'd never cast out demons. They'd never healed the sick. They'd never multiplied bread or fish. They'd never worked any miracles, but they had watched Jesus do it. And he says, okay, you've been watching me for 12 months. You've been watching me for 18 months. You've seen how it's done. Guess what? Now it's your turn. Now you take it and you do it. You go out from this place. And that's what God is speaking to us today. You see, church, this is a significant moment in the history of our church. What we're about to walk into is an opportunity in this city like never before. And I believe God wanted to call us to say, it's your turn. We've been watching. We've seen God move. He's filled us up. It's time to pour out. I did a work for you on the cross. I did a work in you by changing your hearts and your life. Now it's time that we let him do a work through us. We say, God, use me. Use my hands. Use my voice. Use my testimony. Use everything that I have to bring your message to this world. Can I just tell you, church, watch what God can do through you. Just watch what God can do through you. Some of you are afraid right now. You're like, I mean, this is nice, Caleb, but I don't know if I'm ready for all that. Listen, sometimes it just takes a step. I'm not saying you're going to be down the street like casting out demons today, but maybe it's going to start with you just telling your best friend that you love Jesus and saying, I got a church that I'm passionate about. It's got to start small. But I want to tell you that if you begin to step out in faith, live open-handed, walk in the authority and the power that God has given to us, you will step back and go, oh my goodness, look at what God has done through me. Look at what God has done through me. 
Next thing you know, you're playing golf with somebody and they're running into you at in and out saying, pray for me. I'm in desperate need. You don't know. Watch what God can do through you. See, that's not about me. That's about him. He's just looking for people who are willing. I want to pray over you today, church. Would you bow your heads with me? Across this room. You see, some of you are in this room and you have not given your life to Jesus Christ. You have not surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ. Maybe you did at one time, but you've been running from God. You've turned your back on God. You tried it your way. You got caught up in the things of this world. And today, you know you need to recommit yourself to Jesus. You need to come back in the right relationship with Jesus. Or for the first time, you need to say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Like my friend that did it. In the 930 service, there's somebody in this service that God is speaking to right now. If that's you, you need to surrender your heart to Jesus for the first time or recommit yourself. Would you put your hand up? Just slip it up real quick so I can see it. Go. Yeah. 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 See that hand. Anybody else? Slip that hand up. If that's you. Yeah. See that hand. Thank you. Anyone else? Amazing. You guys can put them down. Pray this with me, church. Everybody in here. Let's pray with these that have raised their hands. Say, Jesus, thank you for forgiving me, for coming to this earth and dying for me, for my sin. I ask you today that you would fill me up with your presence, with your purpose, with your future for my life. Today, I ask for that work in me and for me and one day through me I love you Jesus and I give my life to you in your name Amen